It was bad timing, not too surprisingly for a random event. His Mulvida screen was offering one of its occasional brief irregularly presented views of Sergeant Jean Bellevue's real surroundings. These consisted of his personally quarantined suite in the station 700 kilometers above Titan's surface, and showed nothing surprising at all. It cut him off for little more than a second from the scenes provided by Oceanus's cameras, deep in the atmosphere below, but in that second the pipe stall occurred. It would, a less conscious level of his mind reflected. He didn't believe in a literal unqualified Murphy's Law, which was strictly for near civilians like Ludmilla Anden. She was actually a corporal, one of the few people still alive in the Saturn system who didn't outrank him, and for reasons he didn't know himself he tended quite unjustly to regard her as not properly military. A scientist of any rank should understand the law of selective observation, which tradition, flexible as ever in its details, now attributed to one Murphy. If his engines had chosen any other time to flame out, he would have seen it coming, forestalled it easily without conscious thought, and forgotten it promptly as unimportant. As it was, his first warning was the Waldo suit's non-visual input, which kept him in touch with his aircraft even when he could see nothing but the walls, furniture, and equipment actually around him. Being in two places at once was no longer a logical impossibility, but a familiar nuisance. The suit administered a sharp twinge almost simultaneously to both his elbows. A moment later, when he could see Titan again, thrust was gone and accelerometers showed that Oceanus was slowing sharply in the dense atmosphere. His reflexes had already operated, of course, only slightly later than they would have from a visual stimulus, but the trifle made a frightening difference. Bellevue was an excellent pilot, except for his tendency to take occasional chances. The aircraft had practically no reaction mass in its tanks, mainly because of the pilot's eagerness to get the seismic lines dropped without wasting time tanking up so shifting to rocket mode would be futile. It had been obvious to everyone that trying to finish the current line with no thrust backup was silly, but Bellevue wasn't the only person impatient for data. The thunderhead over Lake Carver had, however, practically forced itself on his attention, convincing him that he could pick up juice with very little delay after all, and he had just been implementing his decision to refill after all when it happened. The big satellite's gravity, which his body in orbit couldn't feel any more than it could the ramjet's deceleration, was feeble. If the craft had slowed too much, even the vertical dive he had promptly entered wouldn't get him back to ram speed from his present altitude. Diving into the surface would not injure him physically, the Waldo's feedback didn't go that far, but would still be a bad tactical mistake. Ramjets, while they were grown products, pseudo-life like practically every other piece of modern equipment, could not be picked from trees. Not that there were trees this far from the sun. The aircraft were not even single pseudo-organisms, but assemblages of more than a thousand separately grown modules. Replacement would not be impossible, but would be lengthy and difficult, and would complicate planning. Carla, Lieutenant Le Ping, 
did have two more nearly assembled, and plenty of modules were growing, but like most of the crew she was not always able to work. For increasingly worrisome moments the tension and airspeed mounted as Jean's elbows stayed sore. Then ram flow resumed simultaneously in both pipes, and the speed of his dive abruptly increased with the restored thrust. Still reflexively, he pulled out of the dive, very carefully, to avoid a secondary stall. In level flight at last, with fully a hundred meters of air still below him, he put his nose, his own, not the ramjet's, more deeply into the face cup of his suit and moved his head slightly. This ran the screen through its preset half-dozen most likely useful vision frequencies. He was already pretty sure what had caused the stall, but Pilot's common sense agreed with basic scientific military procedure in demanding that he check. Yes, he was still in the updraft. The screen displayed the appropriate false colors all around him, and the Waldo, which was also an environment suit and therefore had been designed not to interfere with his own breathing system by using olfactory codes, was reporting the excess methane and consequent lowered air density as a set of musical tones. As usual, there had been no one but himself to blame. He'd been driving just a little too slowly, trying to get a good look below while filling the mass tanks, and a perfectly ordinary but random and mathematically unpredictable drop in the density of the rising air had raised the impact pressure needed by the jets. He could have seen it coming, but if the Waldo hadn't been backing up the interrupted visual sensors, he'd have learned too late and with probably much less than a hundred meters leeway. No point thinking about that.